Hello, baby. Want a kiss? Welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast with your host, Ken Hess. Teaching a parakeet to talk is fun, but the old method took too much time and patience. This record is specially designed to teach any healthy, normal parakeet to talk by using a scientific new method that is acknowledged to be far superior because a carefully trained voice, specially chosen for excellence in clarity and diction, repeats over and 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 over the same words, the same phrase, in a manner that most parakeets are most likely to imitate. Check experimentalfilm.info for information, interviews, and episodes. For the next few seconds, this record will be silent. This podcast is dedicated exclusively to experimental film and its makers. Welcome everyone to Season 3, Episode 3 of the Experimental Film Podcast. Today's guest is Stefan K. DiMuzio. Stefan lives and studies film at UNC Greensboro and documentary at Elon University. He has entered a film in this year's Experimental Film Fest, and that's how I got connected with him. Stefan, welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Ken. No problem. Glad to have you on. I've been excited to uh, speak with you, and I have good reason for that. Everyone will find out soon uh, why that is. But um, first, tell us just a little bit about yourself and your work. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I was born and raised in Japan, uh, Tokyo, Japan, um, to a mixed family. So my father is American and my mother is Japanese. And so I grew up in the international community there. Uh, We spoke English as well as uh, we spoke English. uh, Sorry, we spoke English as well as Japanese. Um, So I kind of grew up in a very multicultural kind of world. Uh, So all the media that I consumed growing up and you know, some some of the more formative, I guess, media that I consumed as a as a kid um, was in Japanese and in English. And so I, I feel like now that I live here in the States, I had a very different childhood to uh, a lot of the folks that I um, uh, that I now, you know, that are my friends and that I work with. So um, I feel like my perspective is already a little bit different. Um, so I grew up there. And when it came time to go to school, I decided I would come here to uh, North Carolina. I had some family in the area, and so um, I decided to go to, uh, I would start at UNCG, and uh, later on I would graduate from uh, Elon University. Um, I studied uh, media studies at UNCG, as well as psychology, um, but mostly I just hung hung out in the uh, music building, kind of playing instruments and uh, jamming with friends. Uh, when I moved out to Elon, it was a similar story. Um, I started uh, I started studying film uh, in broadcast and journalism, uh, but eventually I kind of focused in on documentary. And again, I was uh, very heavily involved in their music school as well. Um, it was one of those things where I maybe should have just studied music, but film was, I guess, my calling. It was one of those things that I always knew that I could do. I was one of these people that could balance a whole lot of information in their head um, at once. And um, that's sort of translated into my current job as a project manager, where I do have to balance a lot of different things all at once, um, you know, and kind of present it in narrative form or whatnot. So that's kind of my background. That's kind of where I'm uh, coming from. So now I live uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, with my wife, uh, my four-month-old son, and uh, my two papillons. <laughs> Uh, who I love very dearly. And um, yeah, and so coming from documentary um, and going out into the big wide world, um, 
I wasn't really sure how to pursue film as a career after college. Uh, what ends up happening a lot in college, and I, and I, I definitely, you know, this is, I definitely f- uh, felt this when I was in school, is that a lot of students come out very discouraged about, you know, making it in Hollywood or, or doing anything, you know, with uh, film besides being an intern somewhere or something like that. But um, so. What I ended up doing is I I started doing a lot of small documentaries. Um, I started very small, uh, like craft fair uh, vendors. I would interview them and film their process. Um, I went out to a farm one time uh, with a farmer from like the local farmer's market, and I kind of told his story. So I started doing these tiny little documentaries, and um, eventually I just kind of maybe got a little burnt out of that tried to do something with music. Um, I started joining all these bands and making little music videos there. And um, all of that, I, I wouldn't say culminated, but it all kind of ended up in me making little sort of social media ads or social media videos for advertising my shows, but also advertising uh, music um, in various venues. And that kind of got me on the path that I had been on for the last five years or so. Um, which is making social media videos. And um, there is a brewery here in town in Greensboro called Little Brother that asked me to make a few videos for them. Uh, it's kind of showcasing new beers that they were making. And so, for yeah, over the last several years, I have spent a lot of time doing um, short form beer videos. <laughs> and honestly, it's it's been really fun. It's kind of a kind of a culmination of all of the work I've done. It's part documentary, it's part uh, music video. I do all the music for them as well. And um, part narrative where I get to do, uh, you know, just tell tiny stories. And I would honestly say part experimental. I do a lot of weird special effects. Um, yeah. uh, one of the more recent ones has uh, the crew at the brewery get sucked up into their mural on the wall and end up at a at their new location. It was just kind of like a new location video I did for them. So that was the sort of work that I had been doing. Um, that's the work that I have been doing for the past few years. And it wasn't really until this year that um, I decided I would work more for myself. And that's where the narrative films start coming in. So I mm. ended up writing down a bunch of different little two-minute sketches. I decided two minutes kind of, two minutes is probably the most realistic uh, for me and my friends to make just because, you know, they all have jobs. They all have, well, actually, we all have kids. I don't know if you can hear my son in the background, but no. um, we, all have, we all have kids now. So getting together and getting things done is, um, it can be pretty tight. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I've ended up now. Um, coming all the way from uh, a kid in Japan making little movies with his brother all the way throughout documentary school and then working in, I guess, the beer industry and now in uh, narrative film. Very cool. You know, I saw that video of you uh, at the yeah. brewery. And yeah, yeah. you went up and touched the mural because you saw it move. <laughs> yep, yep, And then yep. you went up and touched it and you got sucked into it. I thought that was really cool. Thank you. That was part one. And then it kind of culminates into a couple other of these little videos as well. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, interesting that uh, you're from Japan because mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated with Japan and Japanese culture. We had some uh, kids in my class uh, one of my best friends, uh, they grew up in, I think it was Sakhalin. It was, oh, wow. 
yeah. uh, island uh, directly north of uh, Japan. Yeah. Yes. Um, and anyway, they, uh, I, I can't remember how they got to my hometown. It's it's mm. some uh, long extended tale. But anyway, uh, Debbie was in my class. Um, let's see. Mm-hmm. Bobby was a couple of years older and Connie was younger. But anyway, they were always good friends of mine, and my uh, niece ended up marrying into their family. Wow! And so, yeah, it was it was kind of interesting. I've always, you know, uh, the mom who actually grew up in Japan. Okay. She would come to our class, and she would teach us some Japanese, you know. And, oh, cool! Uh, was she from the Was she from Hokkaido, like the northern island? I Japan? believe I believe that that does sound familiar. Oh, cool! Yeah. Okay. And oh, that's great. Yeah, and it's funny because I've I've been so fascinated with it over the years. Yeah. And my nephew actually, I think he double majored in in Japanese at uh, University of Oklahoma. He just graduated. I'll have to. Oh wow. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's it, there's all this connection, but yeah, um, yeah. Um, but I was always fascinated, and I've always been fascinated with the people and the culture. And funny story, mm. a few years ago, I was in Las Vegas at this conference. And there was a another journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this big round table of journalists, and we were all eating together. And she sat down, and we were talking. I said, "Are, are you Japanese?" She goes, "Yes." How do you know? I said, "Well, I I said you actually look Okinawan to me." She goes, "Oh my God, oh. I am Okinawan." <laughs> she goes, "How did you know that?" I said, "You just." You just have the look. She goes, a lot of Japanese people don't think I'm Japanese. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. And she goes, then we just, I mean, we just had a huge conversation oh, that's after so that. Cool. It was Wow. Crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, Okinawa is absolutely a, a fantastic place if if, um, if you ever get a chance to visit. It's like, uh, it's the southernmost island, right, of, uh, of Japan. And um, the food is different. The culture is different. It's just a really awesome place to be. Yeah, and apparently the people look very different because I recognize mm-hmm. her as as Okinawan. They just cool. <laughs> she just had, you know, her her face structure. I don't know how to explain it, and and that's why when I said, "Are you Okinawan?" or whatever I said, and, and I said, uh, you know, she goes, "Yes," and she was like shocked, <laughs> and it was really wow. weird. But she was a she was an interpreter at that. Um, conference oh, cool. and she spoke Chinese and Japanese and English My and goodness. one other language, but she did a lot of interpretation and she would sit there as the speakers were speaking and she had on a headset and there were multiple wow. listeners, you know, <laughs> that she was speaking to. It's kind of like the UN. It was really kind of cool. But Wow. So she would do the simultaneous uh, yeah. translation. That is, it takes a very different kind of brain to process language that quickly i know know, um my mother actually was training to be a simultaneous uh, translator like that and um she's definitely told me that it was uh she ended up being a teacher actually both my parents became teachers but um yeah it it definitely seemed like a very different sort of uh very quick-minded person would would be able to do something like that yeah and it's crazy she was explaining it to me she goes you know it's tough because in english she said lots of people always start their sentences with i and she mm-hmm. goes, mm-hmm. that comes at the end in Japanese. Yep, it sure does. <laughs> and she goes, it's really tough because yeah. she goes, I blah, 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 blah. And she goes, I have to think, you know, I have to put that at the end. And wow. it was, it's really quite interesting. But I'm going to try out some Japanese on you because I actually <laughs> studied some Japanese Did through the really? Pim's Lure. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Anatawa Nihon Jindesu ka? 
はい、えっと、今はね、ちょっと曇りだけど、今日はいいお天気でした。ちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとちょっとち
than just the traditional, you know, talking head and B-roll and that kind of stuff. Um, that's always been something that I would, you know, absolutely love to try and do. Um, but obviously it would, it would probably take a while to draw a lot of, uh, pictures. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the thing. I, I want to do animation too, but man, it's so tedious. It really like... is. Yeah. Even with, um, like I have been learning a little bit of, uh, like computer based animation. You'll see some of that in, in some of my, uh, like my social media ads, you'll see some particle effects here and there, some weird cartoon things. And, you know, if I was to do that hand drawn, it would have taken a lot longer. Um, so I've been studying how to do it on a computer, but it's just not, I guess it's just not the same impact yeah. as like actually hand drawing every frame. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to do some, um, you know, some of that animation where you, mm-hmm. you draw the pictures, but oh my gosh. And there was a friend yeah. of mine, another person, yeah. Dustin Rosemark, I had him on uh, last year or the year before. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he does weird film projects, big crazy weird film projects and he did this one where he did cyanotypes and he took a film and he blew up the frames and he made each one of the cyanotypes in this maybe a six minute film Mm -hmm. there were 11,000 frames and I think he shot each one of them four times for like 44 45,000 frames goodness but anyway it was you know 11,000 cyanotypes that's a lot of cyanotypes yeah it takes a while to do those (laughs) it's like dude that's a a whole level of tedious that i yeah no that is it's a level of um i guess commitment right yeah um and you know i guess this kind of gets back to why my film was two minutes long is that i you know call it adhd or whatnot but i just don't feel like i can commit to something that is that large in scale does that make sense yes it does because i'm the same exact way we should do a film together (laughs) yeah we should (laughs) yeah because to to me done in an hour (laughs) yeah sometimes to me Mm -hmm. a four minute film can seem like eternity it's like oh my god yeah you know so i think that's interesting Mm -hmm. we have the same sort of uh i don't know uh pathology or whatever it is (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I, it's like i have to do um short really short films sometimes to you know because i I, the other thing is too i want to finish them isn't that crazy i want to finish them and see it absolutely i completely feel you on that um what's the phrase uh done is better than perfect yeah right so i mean that's that's like story of my life If, if like even in music too i would be working on these um albums and songs and stuff and you you can get into the grind where you just never finish because you're just constantly perfecting everything yeah you know but if you give yourself the limitation of like this is gonna be two minutes and i'm only gonna work on it for a week and then it's done and then it's done it might not be perfect but you'll get some eyes on it people will at least you know see it yeah yeah that's funny because there was a friend of mine who's an artist who said Artists don't ever finish a work. They abandon it. <laughs> I said, you know, that's kind of true because, uh-huh. you know, I'll go back and look at a, a film I made, a recent one I made just called Dirt. And I go back and I look and I think, oh, I could have, I could have done this. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Like, no, I can't, I can't go back because I could tweak forever. Yeah. So. You'd be uh, like working on your Star Wars special editions or whatnot. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's. That's interesting that we've, you know, we're kind of in the same place on that. I, I like that a lot. Completely so. agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now, good listeners, anonymous, and without 
spoiling it. Can you tell us kind of a little synopsis? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it is basically a snapshot into a anonymous group leading, uh, sorry, anonymous group meeting for people that don't get listened to, but are actually good listeners in return. Um, that's that's a basic synopsis of it. Um, and, you know, not not to spoil what happens in the in the short two minute time period. But um, the it was actually an idea that my wife Lauren had. Uh, we were just out on a dog walk one day. And she told me about this dream she had the night before where she was part of this anonymous group meeting and it was called Good Listeners Anonymous. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, like that sounds like a really funny, you know, almost like a a comedy sketch or something that we can try to make. So we kind of developed the story uh, from there and I kind of helped get some ideas and kind of create sort of the flow. Um, Honestly, it kind of wrote itself to be (laughs) very honest. (laughs) So I noticed that your production budget for it was seventy dollars. <laughs> now <laughs> I've seen uh-huh. I've seen all numbers from zero to like fifty thousand dollars on short films. <laughs> I'm sorry. What uh-huh. was the seventy dollars spent on? It was um, the room that we uh, were renting was uh, thirty five dollars an hour. And we had the room from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on one night. Oh, okay. Hence $70. And I mean, I, I, I guess I could, I could say I paid my actors. Like, they were all my friends and I bought them all pizza. So I guess that, that might count. Oh, yeah, that definitely <laughs> counts. I'll put that as craft services. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was when I was asked, you know, budget. I was like, well, you know, technically I did spend money making this. Um, but that was it. You know, I didn't, uh, I already had all the equipment and all the friends, um, to, to make this happen. Yeah. That's funny. I love that. That was, (laughs) that's really good. Um, so what type of equipment did you use? I know she has some, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously you're not behind the camera. Um, what, what kind of equipment did you use? Did you use two different cameras or? Mm. Well, actually I was behind the camera for, um, pretty much the entire thing. I would just, hit the record button and then just run into the frame um, to like do my lines or whatever. And the whole film was shot um, uh, kind of not in order. Um, I'm kind of a, you know, we only had two hours. So me being a project manager, this, this is, this is why I think I'm going to be doing a lot more of these movies. Um, I do have a way you kind of plan out your edit and then you can plan out your shots beforehand. So right. my my son was there uh, in his stroller, and right. I knew that we really only had about 20 minutes of good shooting before he woke up from his nap. And so I did all of Lauren's scenes. She's the um, the one who eventually gets uh, to speak at the very end of the film. Um, I decided we should probably do all of her shots first. That way, you know, if, if uh, my son starts crying, she can take him and walk him around and stuff. So that's kind of how we did the whole movie. We did the entire thing um, completely out of sync and I cut it together later. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, so I guess you used your zoom for sound. Oh yes. Oh yeah. So about the equipment. Yeah. So, yep. I had the zoom recorder um, and I was the one holding the boom for most of the shots. Oh, gosh. Um, and actually for the shots where I'm speaking, I think I actually just rested the boom pole on a chair. Um, I don't really remember. I think I, maybe I had a mic stand. It was like literally I filmed this with everything I could fit into 
my backpack and my camera bag. So I actually took two lights. Um, I have two uh, LED light panels that I took with me, a tripod, and I shot it on a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema 4K camera. Oh, wow. Yep. So that one, that is actually a very recent uh, acquisition of mine, kind of the culmination of all of my work uh, in the social media ad space, uh, culminated in me getting a cinema camera and then realizing that now I have the responsibility to make cinema. So yeah. now I should probably do more <laughs> stuff. So that's that's kind of why, you know, all of these are these movies are starting to happen. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, it was really just shot on tripod uh, on this camera with me darting back and forth. And um, every now and then just kind of like turning to uh, one of the actors and being like, hey, is the light in frame? And they'd kind of look over at the camera and be like, yep, it's in frame. Move it to the left. And I just slowly like push the light out of the frame and then and then go, 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 go. Right. Do my lines. Um, and that's how we shot. We shot it. And I think we finished with like seven minutes to spare. Oh, wow. Yeah. And unfortunately, like the, um, if you've seen the film, it starts with a bunch of doors um, that have different signs for different Right. anonymous yes. meetings happening so yeah. there's like you know um arguments anonymous you just hear people arguing and there's just a whole bunch of them that's all the same door i had to i just i only had time to film that one door and i, I brought all these signs to kind of tape onto it but that didn't work because uh, i didn't have time and the tape wasn't working so i literally just took that one door put it on my computer Hugh shifted the the door color to make it green or blue or yellow oh, yeah. and then green screened all of the signs onto it later on in, in post oh that's funny yeah and that's I, how we finished that's funny yeah um, I thought it was really clever I didn't realize that's that's how I've done some films I you know it's hard to work by yourself isn't it don't you oh, hate my God. that yeah it really it's especially with with folks that don't um, know <laughs> exactly what to do or they don't know what you're doing yeah right yeah they don't necessarily know the whole uh, like working in the beer industry like none of, none of the brewers you know bless their hearts none of them really know <laughs> what it is that i'm doing running around with a camera yeah. right so and they're not paid actors or anything so that's you know that's what that's what we get <laughs> yeah. but it's really hard to work by yourself like that i mean mm -hmm. i i certainly feel the pain there because yeah. Um, I've always had to work pretty much by myself. But, Solo, yeah. You know, and I see these Hollywood productions with hundreds of people. Yep, yep. You know, and I think, you know, I don't need that. I just need one other camera person maybe or two other oh, camera people and a boom person. Please, yep. somebody, <laughs> you know. I yeah. just need a little bit of help, not a tremendous Absolutely. amount. Absolutely. <laughs> it would you know, be nice to have. Yeah, no, it would be. And and the thing is, when I when I was growing up, um, I'm really close with my older brother. He's uh, just a year um, older than me. And it was really he and I that started making movies together. And I got to say, you know, and he lives in London now, so hmm. he's, he's not anywhere around me. But making movies together, you know, with my brother is uh, really where I guess we both kind of discovered the fun of, you know, one person holds the camera and the other person does something and then we switch. Yeah. I really, really miss <laughs> having that, having the ability to have someone else who, you know, is creatively similar in that they, they know what the end goal is. Yeah. It seems like, yeah. you know, being in film school, you would have met other filmmakers who, you know, would help out each other on projects. But I've, I have found... I didn't go to film school, but I have found yeah. even if I know 10 filmmakers, it's pretty rare to have others who want to help you on your projects because it, they're just they just have no passion for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If it's not 
like their idea, they might not be particularly inclined to help you out, yeah. you know? Um, what really I, what I, yeah. And honestly, what, what I ended up finding, and it's pretty sad, but it's very, it can be a little clicky. Um, so, you know, like I, I said, I, I did start at UNCG and then about two years into school, I, um, you know, I kind of like jumped ship and went to Elon university doing the same thing, doing uh, film. So I didn't, because I, I, I guess, because I didn't start at Elon for my, my first two years of my undergraduate, um, all the all the film crews had already formed, oh. <laughs> right? So I I arrived there like yeah I'm gonna make some movies and um it was almost like they and I, I think you know a lot of filmmakers I think can be uh, can relate to this uh, when you're asked to be part of someone else's project they kind of want you to be the boom pole guy yeah and not particularly someone who frames the shots or someone who does the special effects or whatever it is that you might be passionate about they might already have someone for that right so over the years that that is a problem that um i'm pretty sure you you and i have both kind of run into yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it sounds pretty common i guess because yeah you know i actually i used to work with a a camera guy who Mm -hmm. ended up moving away before i left tulsa and moved over to uh, new Bern, north carolina myself yeah um he was my videographer and he knew how to frame i could just say joseph i need this because oh, wow. I because I hate storyboarding. It's just another thing that's too yeah. tedious for me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I would just say, "Hey, we need to do this," and he would, you know, he had it. He and I communicated oh, very cool. well, and so you know, uh, we did some pretty cool stuff. But like I said, we're hundreds of miles away from each other now, so uh, it's, um, the collaboration is yeah not not quite the same over yeah. long distance. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer too, but yeah. You know, anyway, he's a good editor and stuff, but cool. um, we just, you know, we just found it too cumbersome to work. So no, far I feel you. It, yeah, it's it's uh, that's pretty rare, I think, to to find that. You know, and that's um, it's kind of in the music world as well. It's just you find people that help you write, um, but they're they're very very rare. Yeah. You're listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess, and now back to the show. You've talked about some of your other work that you do, mm-hmm. um, you know, music composition and some of your other films that have uh, experimental, uh, you know, kind mm-hmm. of feel to them, especially the one, I don't know, I guess I liken it to a bit like, uh, you know, that AHA video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and See, that's a thing. It's one video that was sh- shot, I mean, what, 35, 40 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. And everybody still knows that video because it Absolutely. was so cool. Yeah, it was uh, hand drawing. We're talking about hand drawing, right? That's yeah. exactly what that was, like rotoscoping. And I'm sure, yeah. that took a, a long time to make, too. Oh, but yeah. definitely struck a chord with me. And totally experimental. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, your you're real artists are experimental people, I, I believe. But Yes. Um, so the things that you're working on now, mm-hmm. will they always have an experimental quality to them? I think so. I think um, because I'm very independent and kind of have made my own vision, I guess, right? Um, and I, to be honest with you, I'm still trying to find that as a as a filmmaker. I don't really know what my style is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I think they're all going to be very wacky and eventually kind of balance out into something that's me. 
which well, sounds really weird. But um, so like currently I'm working on another s- short comedy sketch and then I'm working on a longer, you know, dare I say 10 minute short oh my God. <laughs> that um, might actually be filmed out in the wilderness somewhere <laughs> uh, with sort of a medieval spin. I, I have no idea when um, how this is going to get made, but I got people interested and hopefully we'll shoot this thing in January next year. But um. But at least the the comedy sketch, I'm going to shoot it here in my house, is going to be really weird, um, you know, and and just kind of not really have much of a narrative, just kind of be little like vignettes um, that hopefully will be uh, kind of absurd and funny in a way. <laughs> well, what I noticed about if you mm-hmm. want a common thread in your films, all it, mm-hmm. all it really takes is someone external to find that for you and the, the common thread in your films whether it's Good Listeners Anonymous or the beer films and, and so on that I've looked at on, um, was it Instagram I looked at? Yeah, Instagram, Vimeo. Um, you have this energetic style mm. that is like quick take. There's no there's no boredom in your films. So And I think that comes from you not wanting it to be tedious. And it's wow. like um, there's always lots of energy. I noticed that that's a common thing. There's, um, oh gosh, and and my friend Joseph would love it because he didn't <laughs> want to hold on anything longer than maybe he said if you hold if you hold on yep. a particular thing for seven seconds that's way too long. <laughs> you know? It is amazing how long seven seconds is in, yeah. in film time, right? Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that. I I I can see exactly what what you mean um, ab- ab- about the stuff that I make. It, I I really do try to load one minute with as much stuff as possible. Um, I'm actually on YouTube uh, with my music project. And I find that when you're making stuff for YouTube, if you don't change the scene every three seconds, you're going to lose viewers. So it might be some of that sort of leaking into, you know, some of the the other stuff that I make. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's refreshing because, and this is one of the things I'm going to talk about in my I mean, we're in season three now, but uh, yeah. as soon as I record the last podcast of season two, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to talk about making experimental films. And, you know, some films, I think, go on, whether it's narrative or experimental or whatever, they go on way too long. Mm-hmm. You know, There's I think, books written about how to enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think people need to hit the edit button a lot more than they do, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of hard to tell someone, you know, this is a great film, but you, you really need to make it shorter. There was a film someone sent me from, I can't remember which country it was. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey, let me do a couple of edits on this. I said, cause I, you've got a really great concept. Yeah. I said, but let me, let me tweak it and send it back to you. And see what you think. And what I did was I sped it up. I changed the sound and I changed the um, kind of the color profile of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little and, color grading. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, I mean, it it shortened the film by half. It, wow. Without 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 making it look like an old timey film, you know, where people are moving or like really fast. Or like fast motion. <laughs> because they they moved so slow in the film, and wow. it, it moved so slow that. Oh, you meant liter- literally slow. I thought you were just like, you know, talking figuratively, like the editing or the pacing of the story. But you mean they were literally moving very slowly. Yeah, it was. Oh, and it wasn't wow. in slow motion. It was just kind of, I won't say poorly conceived, but it was like, 
Wow. It just should have been sped up. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. (laughs) Blocking or something, right? Yeah. And so I, I've changed it and and they go, well, that's, that's really cool. You know, I'm, I didn't want to insult them or anything. I said, but I said, just, you know, just think about this. I said, um, (laughs) I said the pacing, I said, it's a good film. I said, but the problem is, especially as a a film festival director, Mm -hmm. do I want to show a a 20 minute film that's going to bore people to tears or would I want to show them the 10 minute version of that, that would hold their attention and make them go, wow, that is really cool. Cause they had a really cool concept. That's cool. Yeah. And plus like, you know, as a, in a festival, you do have a lot more films to show afterwards. So the shorter, the more, I guess uh, the word is concise, right? The more concise, um, the better. Well, that's why when I yeah. saw yours, I thought, yeah. now this this guy really gets it. I, like, I guess that, it, it could have been five minutes, but no, <laughs> let's make <yeah>. it two. <laughs> I mean, it could have been. That's a thing, you know. Yeah, and it, yeah, and yeah. it wouldn't have it wouldn't have suffered because yeah. of because of the, your because of the, your film pacing, you know, mm-hmm. the quick cuts and the yeah, you know, the movement and stuff and the the dynamic quality of of mm-hmm. what's going on. So, I mean, I could. I could talk about it at length, but I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I thought it was really cool. And that's why I wanted to talk with you. Cause I thought, Oh now this, this guy really gets it. <laughs> I saw I a documentary, a, a short yeah. doc, a, a five minute documentary the other day about cats. Okay. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm just going to look at this. I may strangle myself afterwards, but <laughs> I'm going to watch it. I was, I was mesmerized. Wow. I know. I was like, wow, this is so good. I tried to contact the filmmaker and couldn't get, couldn't get in contact, but you know, it's, it's still not too late. I'm, I'm going to try because it was cool. so well done and so well shot and thought out. It's like, wow. And I believe she's a, I think she's either still a student or maybe just yeah. graduating or something. But anyway. Cool. Yeah. You might have to send me that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll give yeah, you the I'm link. I'm all for like short documentaries. I used to make um, little short, I guess, like travel videos. But what ended up happening was like they just didn't have. Um, and you've probably seen a lot of films like this, but they it just didn't have a um, like a driving character or much of a point. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that I've been trying to find um, in either narrative or any future documentaries that I make. Um, something to you know, it, even if it's cats or like some kind of focal point like that to really just kind of drive the the emotional engagement i guess yeah Mm -hmm. exactly so let me ask you what did you what do you think of your 4k camera this thing is amazing um the second i turned it on and shot my like feet on a rocking chair like outside (laughs) it was shocking how crystal clear it was i um was shooting before on a Canon Rebel SL3, which is a uh, mm. it's a very mid-range camera. Um, it's DSLR, APS-C size, uh, you know, sensor. Right. And it actually does 4K. I think it's uh, one of their only uh, small form factor DSLRs that does 4K. And um, it's it was very you know I, I learned after I got the Black Magic that the 4K in the Canon was very. Um, I wouldn't say stunted, but just very awkward. It was very grainy. You get a crop factor of I think 2.6 or 2.5 when you're when you're shooting that way, and the rolling shutter was just just absolutely atrocious. And then I I get this camera, the Blackmagic, and the form factor of this camera is very bulky. Um, it is not a good camera to. It's it's really um, hard to use. 
I will say. Is it? <laughs> there, yep, there's, there's no autofocus. Um, nothing is done for you on this. And um, it's also very picky about the recording media. So if you don't have yeah. like the right kind of SD card or I'm actually using a, um, I upgraded to a uh, solid state hard drive. But if, unless you're using something like that, it's just, you're going to have read write errors. It's going to have uh, dropped frames. So it's definitely a camera that will teach you a lot about uh, filmmaking. Yeah. Well, I and have... actually a, a lot about color grading. Oh yeah, uh, that sorry. too. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Go ahead. Cause you probably um, record in raw, don't you? I do, yeah. So this is this is my first foray into that. Before I was shooting on a, uh, it's called CineStyle, CineStyle yeah. profile. Yeah. And I was using that and doing just some like, you know, little color grading here and there. But this one really forces you to do everything. You have to manipulate everything to get it to look, you know, natural and then put a film kind of look um, on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's so much fun. Um, but now I'm realizing that like my computer is, it just can't handle it sometimes. Like, so I get a lot of dropped frames. Yeah. I have to render it all out and export it before I can even really watch it. Um, actually funny story about the good listeners anonymous. Um, the, the night that we shot that, um, the next day, my wife and I, we were taking our first sort of overnight trip to the mountains with our, uh, our newborn. And, um, I, brought my black magic camera. I brought all the footage that we took uh, for good listeners. And I brought my laptop thinking that I could do all the color grading um, on my, it's a 20, I think it's a 2019 MacBook Pro. So it's a pretty decent computer. Yeah. And um, I started just chugging through the footage and getting it uh, transcoded. And I don't think I've ever felt this computer get so hot. It was almost painful to touch wow. this thing. And this poor computer had to sit and render footage all night. And um, you could just hear the fans like from the other room. This poor computer was like, kill me. Wow. <laughs> you know, and it still like dropped a bunch of frames. And I had to kind of wait till I got home to to do the rest of the transcoding. But um, so, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot um, of learning, I guess. You know, the learning process is the learning slope is very steep with this. But it's really fun. I have a um, mm-hmm. Blackmagic Pocket Cinema the OG one. Really? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a 1080p. It's it is, yeah. But the 1080p nice. is very, very, very good quality. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. It's a yeah. super 16 size, so it's oh, like that's shooting so cool. an old 16 camera, you know? But it's, yeah, that it's pretty cool. Would be, that is sort of, that might be my dream camera for traveling, because my, my Canon is my main camera for taking pictures, and, you know, when I go traveling... It's nice to shoot video on it, like getting the 4K. But like I said before, it's the 4K is really not that good. But the the Blackmagic 4K is is perfect for for filming stuff. But it's so hard to travel with because you need you know all these different things to stick onto it. Right. Um, it's just so big. But um, yeah, I, I've I've been watching a lot of uh, YouTube videos on the Pocket uh, OG. And um, honestly, with that, like, do, do you use a uh, micro four thirds lens on it? Yeah, I've got a couple of Lumix lenses. Very cool. And it, you know, it'll autofocus. Well, I'll say it autofocuses. You have to press the focus button. Yep, and it'll yep, focus yep, yep. In. Yeah, um, I actually recently got a Lumix lens. I got the fourteen millimeter. Yeah. And um, actually, yeah, that that trip up to the the um, to the mountains, uh, that's that was like literally the only thing I took. I just took my Blackmagic and the Lumix lens. And I got some shots of uh, some like waterfalls and that was the trip we went to the winery and I got all my my free sound effects. 
Um, oh, yeah. but I, that kind of became my main camera for that trip. But, um, it, yeah, those, those little lenses are actually pretty cool. <laughs> they're pretty nice. Yeah. And they're quiet and, mm-hmm. you know, I really like them cause I've got a couple yeah. of, uh, let's see what I'll do. I have, I've got that yeah. black magic. I've got a couple of Panasonic GH threes. Oh, nice. I've got a couple of Sony a seven S's. Okay. Which, you know, for low light, you can't beat those things. That's the full frame mirrorless, right? Yes. Yeah. That one's a really popular um, among uh, YouTube uh, folks is yeah. this, uh, the Sony A7S. Um, I think streamers actually use that as well. It's really perfect for um, kind of darkly lit, you know, rooms and such. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You can actually, you know, someone said yeah. you can shoot in the dark in that thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, if, if you only have a little bit of light, you can yep. make it look like a room that's full of sunlight. Wow. It's just nuts. That's I mean, awesome. it gets, it gets grainy above, Oh gosh, maybe uh, ISO of was it sixteen thousand maybe or eight thousand? Okay. But well, that's that's incredible. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's really a a great camera for low light. Wow. I mean it's good for other things too. But yeah. I also have a a Canon five D Mark II. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that was so, I think, and I think still is pretty industry standard, right, for DSLR uh, video shooting. Yeah, the five yeah. D. That's that's the one camera that I've always. Um, you know, I, I've since I got my Canon SL3, I've been collecting a lot of Canon lenses. Yeah. And that's always been like, okay, it's either I'm going to move up to the full frame, the Canon 5D, or I think they're on the Mark IV now. Yeah. Um, or I'll I'll go with the Blackmagic, and it just so happened the Blackmagic was um, available at that time, and so I went with this one. But yeah, that's a that's a really really good one too. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the, you know, those Blackmagic cameras, they are pretty reasonably priced. I can't mm-hmm. believe how they really are inexpensive. They are. I went yeah. to um, <laughs> Adorama up in New York yep, in yep, September. Yep. Oh, cool! I was like, because they had the 6K, they had the 6K yeah, Pro, yeah, the and they had the 4K. Yep. I was like, wow, these are these are very reasonably priced. I could actually afford these. Yeah, it kind of puts uh, you know cinema and like going back to cine- cinema responsibility uh, yeah. <laughs> puts that into just like everyone's hands. Right. That's true. So you can now shoot. And I, I know that um, the 4K isn't yet, but the 6K at least is a, I think it's like a Netflix acc- approved. Yes. Right. That's right. Um, so, you know, it really, it really does make, it, it really is powerful. I think just to yeah. be able to have that. Yeah. A friend of mine recently uh, made a short and they used the 6K Pro and. Very cool. He said, man, there's, there's nothing like it. And I've seen a little bit of the mm-hmm. raw footage and it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Just so clear. I can only imagine the um, hard drive space needed oh my gosh. for that. Cause even on this 4k man, it is, it is ridiculous. Um, you know, like if you're shooting in something like ProRes, yeah, a minute is, 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 I don't know how, like 10 gigabytes or something like that. It's just oh crazy. Gosh. So definitely, um, I've definitely gotten a lot better at file management. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, to be honest with you, I thought I was good at it. I thought my Final Cut Pro libraries were like lean, but now they are extremely lean. <laughs> yeah. So, um, who are the filmmakers who that have inspired you to make films? Mm. Well, growing up in the '90s, I think Spielberg really yeah. speaks to a lot of '90s kids. Yeah. Um, just because his movies are, like you said, energetic, right? There's like an energetic quality to them. Um, so his movies have really kind of stuck with me in that 
all throughout film school, we never talked about Spielberg movies at all. Hmm. We never talked about the big blockbusters, the stuff that was uh, exciting and, you know, making money, I guess. Right. We always talked. um, We talked really mostly about Citizen Kane. That was like the one film that I think I've seen more times than any other film in film school. But um, I mean, it is a masterpiece, but I think Spielberg's movies that are action packed have a little bit of heart and, you know, do things a little differently, especially maybe just especially in the 90s, you know, before all this CGI stuff was was the norm. Um, I've always had a thing for for real sets. And, you know, if you've seen his movies like um, like Hook, for example, like they built a whole pirate ship and stuff like that as that was I think that definitely has stuck with me. Um, as I became an adult and wanted to do something a little different from, you know, the more serious films that some of my colleagues were making. Um, there is, uh, trying to think, uh, other, other folks out there that have really inspired me. Um, Rowan Atkinson, mm. um, really big, uh, obviously comedy, right? Comedic genius he yeah. is. Um, he, he has a whole documentary, actually, about comedy. Hmm. And um, it was, I think, an old BBC special from like back in the 80s or something. And uh, my brother and I would rent that almost, uh, yeah, probably almost every month. And we would just watch it and watch it over and over again. And it would talk about the beginnings of comedy and how it all started back in, you know, the Buster Keaton days and um, some of the French New Wave stuff that was comedic oh, yeah. and um, how how physical comedy is uh, is still, you know, just amazing. He really goes through a lot of that stuff. So um, I really want physical comedy to come back. <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, um, this, this is a weird segue, but like we are really stuck in a day and age right now where verbal comedy is sort of the norm and what actors are doing, just speaking to each other on a set rather than situations that they're in or something that someone is doing that's a little absurd or, or funny, dare I say funny, um, we don't have a lot of that physical, you see someone doing something with their body in film. And I think with good listeners, like there's a, there, there's definitely a shot where I, I needed to shoot it very wide to see me going from camera right to camera left very rapidly. Right. Yeah. And those are the types of things that, you know, in, in my study of the Rowan Atkinson documentary and some of the old, older comedies um, that I really want to put more into my work going forward. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, that's yeah. funny that you should say it. Gosh, yeah. it seems like we're like, um, maybe we were <laughs> separated at birth. or something. <laughs> Maybe we need to do a genetic test and find out <laughs> if, if we're somewhat related. Because um, I feel the same way. In fact, uh, it might surprise you to know that yeah. I actually uh, helped produce a vaudeville show here in New Bern uh, at the beginning of April because I like that physicality oh, and, and cool. all that stuff. Yeah. In fact, it's a, it was an old vaudeville theater, an original vaudeville theater that was on the circuit and everything. And, wow. um, I spoke with the director and I said, Hey, I'd like to yeah. do a vaudeville night. And he goes, I think that's a great idea. And wow. so we did it. It sold out. Oh my gosh. And now they're going to put it on the docket every year. Wow. And it's going to be part of the regular season. And, I'm pretty excited about it because, man, it was it was really a lot of fun. Oh, that's so cool. I'm I'm glad that people are, I guess, like respectful and they they want to see that. You know, they want to yeah. see something that'll make you know lighthearted 
they want to see something that will make them happy <laughs> in that yeah, way. Yeah, right? it, was, it was a lot that's of fun. That's super cool. I'm glad that's, I mean, that's, you know, talk about physical humor, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'll have to send you a link to uh, mm-hmm. some of the videos. A friend of mine videoed yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, I would love to see that. And he broke them up into separate acts so you can, you know, watch the ones you want without having to go through the whole thing. So Wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll check that out. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. So, yeah. Um, did Actually, you, I, sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, one more, um, I guess, director whose work um, that I, I absolutely jive with is, um, his name is Jacques Tati. Oh, yeah, He's a I love French him. director. Okay, yeah, so if you've ever seen, um, I think it's called Traffic. Um, he does a lot of, a lot of really, and they're weird, right? They're just really weird movies, but they're so funny. You do find yourself just, like, you know, in tears laughing. Yeah. But um, definitely his stuff is something that I'm, I'm looking to emulate a little bit, um, in the future. Did he do Mon Uncle? Yes. Yes, he okay. did. Yeah. Yep, that's the one where I think he's like, he's in a kitchen and he pulls down some sort of bowl shaped item and he drops it on the floor and it bounces up and he catches it. Yeah. And then he picks up another one and he drops it and it shatters <laughs> into a million pieces yeah. on the floor. And, um, oh, it's just, it's just classic stuff. Yeah, Love I it. like I like him mm-hmm. a lot. I watch I watch a lot. It might surprise you to know. Might not yeah. surprise you to know. I watch a lot of uh, Turner Classic movies. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And Criterion Channel. Nice. Yeah, yeah Criterion. I've, I've definitely um, I've definitely seen. Uh, actually, that's where a lot of Japanese movies are. Yeah, that's um, right. These days, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a a ton. I can't think of the guy's name now, but um, mm-hmm. my son yes. said, "Be sure and watch." Is it? Uh, starts with a t maybe mm. anyway i can't think of his name sorry okay. but uh yeah it's it's when i'm live like this i can't think of anything <laughs> well we all know kurosawa right the yeah. famous japanese uh director um you know obviously his movies are, are great um the criterion collection there there's a whole series of movies uh called zatoichi which is about a um sort of like a monk slash uh, masseuse who yeah. is blind but he's also a really badass swordsman. (laughs) And, um, it's, the movies are absolutely beautifully shot. Uh, they're black and white. Um, and I think some of the, you know, uh, the ones I think from the seventies are, are in color, but, um, really, you know, if you're looking for some really awesome classic Japanese cinema, I would, I would absolutely recommend, uh, Zatoichi. Yeah. I love the criterion channel. There's so much on there. Right. Yeah. Really cool stuff. I actually have a friend who has some stuff on there. She's an experimental documentarian, as a matter of fact. Really? Yeah, Lynn Sachs, oh. if you ever get a chance. She's been on the show a couple of times. Oh, I'll have to find her uh, episode. Yeah, and um, she's on the Criterion channel. And I think she has oh, seven or eight films on there. And, wow. And she's a, like I said, she's a fairly famous experimental documentarian. And if you want to see experimental documentary from someone who's been doing it for 30 years, she would be the one to watch. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's very cool. And let's see, um, are you involved uh, in any local film groups or meetups or other film-related activities? I don't know, actually. I I, <laughs> I have a few friends uh, that were in one of my social media ads that have um, sort of like a like a sketch group going. Oh, and cool. we did do a little bit of film work last October. Um, so, I, but I'm not really sure if I'm in it because I've just been kind of busy with my family. But 
they do actually make some really funny sketches. I think they're they're mostly trying to break into the I guess like the TikTok world. Oh yeah. Which um, I'm not I'm not sure if you know um, I, I might I I would rather do things in uh, what do you call it like horizontal widescreen rather than vertical. Right. Yeah, me <laughs> but, too. Um, but yeah, so like we we made a couple things together, um, but mostly these days I'm I'm solo kind of writing uh, stuff on my own. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, anytime I see somebody with their phone filming something, I go turn it sideways. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But don't turn it sideways in the middle of your shot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, Oh, that is such, that is such a pain to edit. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Trust me. <laughs> I've done it before. You, by you know, you know, yep. I, I know, I know that pain <laughs> so, yeah. so well. That's funny. <laughs> so, um, what are you working on now? If you can tell us. Sure. Um, so the, the sketch, I guess, comedy thing that I'm working on right now, it's called The Internet of Useless Things. Oh, that's funny. It'll be another two-minute thing. And um, the opening shot, um, I can give you this much, is uh, just kind of a downward angle at, um, I guess it'll be my feet. Um, but I'm holding a pair of socks and a smartphone next to it. And the pair of socks have a blinking LED light kind of flashing. And the phone says, connecting. Hmm. And then the phone goes not in range of socks. And that's kind of how the film begins. It's basically little vignettes of how useless all of our connected items are and just absurdity of uh, having all of the forks in your kitchen be connected to your Wi-Fi network or your dog's leash disconnects from your phone so it lets the dog loose. Um, So there's a lot of little vignettes that um, really useless all of our connected items are. Um, so you'll have like the coffee mug that is connected to your smartphone or whatnot right. telling you that it's full of coffee when obviously it isn't. So little little frustrations that we've all felt um, over the years with all of our devices getting connected um, kind of strung together in a two minute short. So that's kind of my short term uh, movie goal. Um, I am working with um, a friend of mine. She was she played the lady in Good Listeners who is doing all the writing of the words verbatim from Mm. someone. So she and I are working on a short uh, script together. um, And then I'm hoping to gather a larger crew together and film something out in the wilderness next January. Hopefully my uh, son will be old enough to travel uh, well with us. And um, I'm really hoping it can involve some swords. So we'll, we'll see how that one goes. That's funny. Yeah. (laughs) Well, good luck with that. Let me know. Thank you. (laughs) And you know, since you're in North Carolina, I'm really hoping that you will come to the um, experimental film fest because we will have a uh, filmmaker meet and greet. Oh, cool. And um, it's over in New Bern and mm-hmm. we're, um, you know, filmmaker meet and greet is before the festival. And then, uh, you know, you get to stand up and talk in front of the other filmmakers and network and stuff. Cause there's, oh, that's great. Um, you know, Plus we have it's local... a chance to visit New Bern. Yeah. Yeah. I right? mean, that's, yeah. if you've yeah. never been here, it's really cool. Yeah, actually, um, uh, one of my best friends is from New Bern. Oh, um, wow. he, he lives in Austin now. Oh. But um, we met in school. He was uh, part of the theater um, community, or he, he was a theater student. And now he works on, uh, he actually works in the film industry. He's a production designer. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I think he works on, like, maybe The Walking Dead or some of these other shows uh, oh. down in Austin. But, um, but yeah, his family's down there. And um, I've been there maybe once or twice. Um I might, I might have even visited that theater that you guys did your vaudeville thing in. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's um, funny. I always wanted an excuse to go back. <laughs> I, I'm originally from Texas, so I, I've traded places with him. I think I got oh, the better cool. end of the deal. 
<laughs> yeah, it's kind of hot down there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I like Austin, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's just so many bad things going on in Texas right now. Yeah, and yeah. Maybe yeah, in I mean, a few years when the climate changes. Right, <laughs> and right. And I don't, I don't mean the heat. <laughs> but anyway. Not that heat, yeah. So, no, it seems like a fun place to visit. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Stefan, tell me, do you have a website or other ways for the audience to check out your work? Yeah. Um, I'm like... I'm kind of like how I was back in my my musician days where I was in all of the bands. I have a lot of different websites. Um, my main one would probably be my Vimeo if you want to see my films. Um, it's vimeo.com slash my first and last name, which is Stefan Demuzio, um, S-T-E-F-A-N-D-I-M-U-Z-I-O. Um, and if you want to catch my, um, I guess, my other stuff uh, on Instagram, you can follow me at Pro. Um, it's Radiant Roar Productions, but shortened to R-A-D-R-O-A-R-P-R-O. Um, that's my Instagram handle. Um, so you can see some of my uh, just like little pictures and I guess my behind the scenes looks there. Um, that's where you can find me. And I follow you now on Instagram. because Yes, I noticed. I, yeah. I, I followed back. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to see your stuff as well. I don't post that much on there, but I'm going to okay. start <laughs> Yeah. Cool. No, that's great. That's great. You'll be yeah. making vertical movies in no time. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't even say that. <laughs> You'll just have to turn them sideways. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for uh, coming on today. It was really great talking with you. And, and like I tell almost every filmmaker I speak with, because I'm just so fascinated by uh, film and, and what filmmakers are doing, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> and um, anyway, thank you for coming on today. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And, um, and in Japanese, we would say, uh, um, so into the future, you know, let's, let's, let's do well. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for joining us for this third episode of season three of the Experimental Film Podcast. Our guest today was experimental filmmaker Stefan K. Demuzio. Please contact me if you'd like to schedule an interview, sponsor the podcast, point me to some cool experimental films or connect me to other experimental filmmakers, and we'll see you next time. If you would like to sponsor a podcast or schedule an interview, send an email to ken at experimentalfilm.info. Thanks for listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess.